Chapter Two, Part Two of Women of the French Revolution by Winifred Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Two of Salons and Salonnières. The Condorcets at Number Two, La Grande Rue, were but a few minutes' walk from their friend Madame Helvetius at Number Twenty Four. Her house, like theirs, fronted on the street the grande rue of auteuil like that of certain other villages near paris which have now become parts of the metropolis then contained a series of noble dwellings one may see some of them still with street fronts so unpretentious as never to suggest the charming prospect of sylvan glades undulating lawns and sparkling fountains that may be viewed from the other side looking on to the park at number twenty four one found on entering a handsome vestibule on the ground floor which with that exception was given up to kitchens and offices an escalier d'honneur with a balustrade of wrought iron the admiration of all beholders led to the first story where were the living-rooms the dining-room and la chambre de madame the salon which communicated with the garden by a flight of steps was large as well it might be considering that madame's guests frequently numbered fifty its prevailing colours were blue and white the furniture included an inlaid rosewood chiffonnier with marble top a spacious couch in blue damask bergere armchairs and causeuses upholstered in damask and plentifully provided with cushions over the mantelpiece was a gilt mirror in front of it a candelabra and a huge porcelain basket of blue porcelain flowers that blue porcelain posy forever blossoming for eight-and-twenty years six of them the most tempestuous in french history gazed down serenely on varying scenes on guests coming and going some bringing news of momentous events in paris others passing away to prison to the guillotine or to escape it by dying with their own hand many were the heated discussions which raged in that blue and white drawing-room after one of them its mistress found herself obliged to part from her old friend morellet who could not share her sympathy nor that of his fellow-guests with the new order that was dawning for madame helvetius cabanis laroche and the condorcets were the leaders of the revolutionary party at auteuil laroche was the first revolutionary mayor and cabanis a member of the municipal council at the magnificent ceremony which inaugurated the new town hall the young girls of the district marched in procession escorted by a detachment of the national guard to the new building and crowned with garlands the busts placed there of voltaire rousseau and helvetius when they reached the last the band played the air of a popular song beginning with the line where can one be better than in the bosom of one's family où peut-on être mieux qu'au sein de sa famille at this signal the philosopher's friends and relatives advanced laid garlands upon the image of helvetius and embraced one another while the crowd deeply moved looked on the condorcets were probably present on that occasion which was in the summer of seventeen ninety one some months earlier we find madame helvetius heading the list of the auteuil subscribers to patriotic funds her contribution was four thousand five hundred francs cabanis followed with one thousand two hundred and laroche with nine hundred in seventeen ninety one number twenty four in la grande rue was one of the chief revolutionary centres the revolutionary leaders were accustomed to meet at mirabeau's in the chaussee d'antin in the morning at the assembly in the afternoon and at the house of madame helvetius in the evening the death of his friend and patient mirabeau was a great grief to cabanis he sought consolation for his loss in friendship with condorcet whose sister-in-law charlotte de gouchy he was later to marry 
as the political horizon darkened condorcet began to disagree with the party in power this was ominous and he may have had a presentiment of his fate when in the summer of seventeen ninety three he accepted from his future brother-in-law a certain poison a powdered mixture of stramonium and opium which he concealed in his ring later cabanis is said to have given some of the same poison to napoleon bonaparte since the king's attempted flight in seventeen ninety one condorcet and with condorcet we always include madame condorcet for their political opinions were identical had been in the vanguard of revolutionary opinion towards the end of the following year however as the king's trial approached condorcet had tended to drop behind he who had been among the first openly to advocate the suspension of the kingly office he who later had hailed the king's deposition and the proclamation of a republic had not been able to bring himself to vote for his former sovereign's death he had protested against the death penalty in all cases he demanded that louis capet should suffer the severest penalty short of death from that moment he had been regarded as a moderate and moderation in those days was dangerous power was then passing from la gironde to la montagne condorcet had drafted a constitution which he had presented to the assembly it had been ignored another had been drawn up of which he disapproved by a public letter he had appealed to the nation against it and in favour of his own thus he virtually signed his death warrant as he found for on the eighth of july seventeen ninety three the convention decreed his arrest for twenty-four hours madame elbicius concealed him but if he had been found in her house it would have meant certain death for la roche who lived there and who as we have said was mayor of auteuil so the following day condorcet went forth this time for a brief space he actually found a hiding-place with the minister of the interior his friend garat by this deed garat often a vicar of bray attained to something like heroism he would have kept condorcet longer if he would have consented to stay but meanwhile cabanis was seeking a place of concealment where his friend's presence might be less dangerous to his host and he had found one it was in paris on the left bank in a narrow dark street then known as the gravedigger street la rue des fossoyeurs now la rue servandoni there at number twenty one dwelt a widow madame vernet one of those noble and beneficent characters that show us how high humanity can reach madame vernet had been accustomed to let lodgings to medical students and it was through two of these pinel and boyer both of them later to be famous doctors that cabanis had heard of her is he an honest and virtuous man was all madame vernet inquired when asked to receive condorcet in that case do not stay to tell me his name let him come and do not hesitate a moment while we talk he may be seized condorcet went and lived for nine months at madame vernet's in strictest seclusion his possessions at the rue de lille and at auteuil had been placed under the government's seal and his property confiscated madame condorcet was reduced to sore straits for she had to provide not only for herself and her child but for an invalid sister and an aged governess neither her resourcefulness nor her talents failed her every morning she tramped from auteuil into paris contriving to pass through the city gate unquestioned and unobserved among the daily crowd of market women once inside she swiftly made her way to a little shop in the rue saint-honore taken in the name of the brother of one of her husband's secretaries there she sold that delicate lingerie for which her race is famous and when customers were scarce upstairs in a studio on the first floor she painted portraits 
in those days when life was so uncertain and photography undreamed of relatives were eager to possess pictures of loved ones of whom they might soon be bereft and to fix their semblance on her canvas sophie de condorcet had often to work in the cell of the condemned occasionally towards nightfall she would venture to her husband's retreat there she found him engaged in writing for posterity a justification of his political conduct this work tending to concentrate his mind on his personal sorrows plunged him into the depths of despair distressed by his low spirits sophie and madame bernet put their heads together and urged him to abandon the self-justification and to take up something less personal condorcet adopted their excellent advice and wrote his outline of the progress of the human mind to that we owe his greatest work the composition of this aspiring treatise without the aid of a single book would alone be an amazing achievement but the character of the work itself when one considers the position of the author is still more astounding here was condorcet with a bloody death staring him in the face and threatening those who were dearest to him disappointed in his most cherished hopes for his country's future yet writing throughout this book with all the confidence of the most untroubled optimism and leading up to this final paragraph which it is almost impossible to believe was written by the pen of an outlawed man everything indicates that we are on the eve of one of the greatest revolutions in the human mind and that it will be happy as augured by the present state of human intelligence this book which has now become a classic was published a year after condorcet's death by and at the expense of the repentant government in the same year it was translated into english as the terror advanced concealment became more and more difficult and nothing could convince condorcet that it was right to expose madame bernet to the danger in which his presence in her house involved her but she refused to let him go and watched him narrowly to see that he did not escape on the fourth of april he learned that on the morrow government officials were to search his place of refuge if i am discovered under your roof he said to madame bernet you will share my sad fate i am an outlaw i must not stay with a frenchwoman's logic and concision and with a heroine's courage madame vernet replied the convention sir has the right to place you outside the law it has not the right to place you outside humanity you will stay but condorcet was determined to go and the next morning a little before ten o'clock he contrived to give his hostess the slip and to steal away disguised as a workman in jersey and white woollen cap he was observed however by the concierge she raised the hue and cry and soon after the fugitive had emerged from the rue des fossoyeurs into the broad thoroughfare opposite the luxembourg palace he was joined by a cousin of madame bernet one serret to whom she was secretly married this brave man insisted on remaining with condorcet and together they made their way out into the country at three o'clock they reached a village fontenay aux roses which like auteuil was the centre of a literary coterie thither had retired monsieur and madame suard in pre-revolution days they had been among condorcet's intimate friends and being poorer than he had received great kindness from him but the suards were among those who strongly disapproved of condorcet's republicanism they had avoided him on account of it and they had not met since the king's death the suards too were in danger of their lives and their one thought was to live quietly and unobserved it was at their house that the hunted condorcet worn out with walking after months of inactivity presented himself on that april afternoon 
arrived at what he believed to be their gate serret bade him farewell and returned to madame vernet whom he had left in a fever of anxiety but before condorcet actually reached the suarz he had by accident made a serious blunder which may have determined his fate he had knocked at the wrong door that of one of his political enemies and had been recognized by the servant when he arrived at the suarz he found the master of the house at home they had a long conversation together whether condorcet told of his blunder is not related probably he mentioned it at any rate he spoke at length of the danger which threatened him and his family then suard told his visitor that he could not keep him in his house but that he was willing to help the fugitive in any way short of harbouring him under his roof he suggested that condorcet should return at eight the next evening meanwhile suard would go to paris to try and obtain some false papers of identity which might take the place of the civic certificate which condorcet was without and the absence of which placed him in the greatest danger giving his visitor some food a copy of horace and a screw of tobacco for which he asked and which with characteristic absent-mindedness he left behind suard dismissed his illustrious guest then immediately suard set out for paris he went first to garat garat advised him to apply to cabanis who as doctor in the municipal hospital at auteuil might be able to give him papers belonging to some deceased patient accordingly suard went to auteuil where cabanis gave him an old license lettre de passe made out in the name of a soldier whom it permitted to go from one department into another with this document suard returned to fontenay at eight o'clock on the sixth of april having sent away his wife and servant he awaited his visitor in an empty house he waited in vain at half-past nine madame suard and her maid returned throughout the next day the seventh there was no sign of the fugitive on the eighth the suarz spent the evening at the house of friends in a neighbouring village there they heard that at clamart a man had been arrested who was thought to be condorcet it was true after leaving suarz on the fifth condorcet had spent the night in the verrieres wood the next morning worn out with fatigue and having hurt his foot in a quarry he entered a tavern at clamart and ordered an omelette how many eggs do you want in it he was asked condorcet always absent-minded and totally unskilled in the making of omelettes replied haphazard a dozen such an answer was quite enough to arouse the suspicion of a revolution spy who happened to be present questioned as to his identity condorcet with the white well-kept hands of an aristocrat replied that he was a carpenter such a discrepancy was more than sufficient to warrant a search and the discovery of a latin book in the pocket of the so-called carpenter was additional presumption of guilt he was taken to the nearest prison at bourg la reine there the next morning on the seventh he was found dead in his cell on leaving suard two days earlier he had said if i have a night before me i do not fear them but i will not be taken to paris by them he meant doubtless the officers of the revolution and it was probably in order to escape being taken by them to paris that he had sought and found deliverance in the powder cabanis had given him the prison doctor attributed to apoplexy the death of pierre simon the name condorcet had given for months his wife and family were ignorant of his fate madame de condorcet believed that her husband had emigrated the state disposed of a great part of his property as belonging to an emigre six weeks after his unknown death we are surprised to find the municipal council of auteuil pronouncing sophie's divorce from her husband 
the divorce so the auteuil records show had been demanded by her in the previous january on reading this record one cannot help thinking of the rumours of madame de condorcet's infidelity circulated by her enemies they said she had already an entanglement before her marriage with condorcet that she had had lovers since and we know that after her husband's death though she never married again she had more than one liaison that in seventeen ninety eight for example she was openly the mistress of the naturalist fauriel the abbe morellet in his account of condorcet's last conversation with suard relates that the fugitive spoke of his little daughter with affection but of his wife with indifference but morellet had by that time ceased to be condorcet's friend he had separated from him as we have seen for political reasons and when he disagreed with any one morellet could be unjust and bitter as voltaire's nickname for him marlet indicates the condorcet's friends on the other hand were unanimous in praising sophie's devotion to her husband and his solicitude for her we may therefore dismiss these unkind rumours they were probably as unfounded as the absurd story that sophie had been the mistress of louis the fifteenth whom she never saw and who died when she was ten as for the divorce proceedings they may have been a mere formality not unusual in the case of emigre entered into at condorcet's own suggestion and intended to save the lives of his wife and daughter whose danger as we know caused him constant anxiety sophie herself though she survived her husband for eighteen years never completely recovered from the horror of that terrible time her daughter madame o'connor used to say that her mother could not bear to hear the word girondin mentioned madame o'connor could not bear to hear the name of suard for both she and madame vernet execrated him as condorcet's murderer for some months in seventeen ninety four deprived of her husband's revenue madame de condorcet continued in great poverty then after the reaction of thermidor her circumstances improved less than a year after robespierre's death condorcet's memory was rehabilitated and his widow received from the government such of his property as had not been sold with the value of that which had been disposed of she then took a small flat in paris in la rue de matignon where she was joined by madame talma who had divorced her husband but most of her time madame de condorcet continued to pass at auteuil in that literary village salon life was once more beginning to flourish those who had achieved the miracle of living through the revolution were returning la roche was back again in the salon of madame helvetius madame de Boufflers, released by le neuf thermidor from la conciergerie prison was reopening her salon ready to receive the exiled talleyrand when he returned from america in eighteen ninety seven lucien and joseph bonaparte were now frequently at auteuil thither in the last days of the century they brought their triumphant brother napoleon recently returned from egypt napoleon visited madame helvetius and fresh from the vastness of the desert remarked on the tininess of her park ah general said the old lady you don't know how happy one can be on four acres of ground the future emperor could not tolerate repartee so he vented his displeasure on madame de condorcet i dislike women who meddle in politics he said but she too was a match for him and the widow of the first french advocate of woman's suffrage retorted smartly you are right general but in a country where their heads are cut off it is natural they should wish to know the reason why with napoleon was coming in a new era which madame helvetius was not to live to see she died at the age of eighty-one on the thirteenth of august eighteen hundred 
for sophie de condorcet auteuil had now lost its attractiveness she took a house in normandy not far from the home of her childhood where she spent the summer months returning for the winter to paris to a flat in la grande rue verte now la rue de pontievre there she had a salon during her last years at auteuil sophie had been editing and publishing her husband's works and with them her translation of adam smith's theory of moral sentiments to which she added a work of her own lettre sur la sympathie the appearance of these letters in seventeen ninety eight brought their author an enthusiastic letter from madame de stal immensely superior to sophie as a writer madame de stal's literary flair had been quick to discern in madame de condorcet's writings the kind of talent she herself did not possess the letters display wrote the author of corinne an authority which emanates from reason a true but controlled sensibility which makes you a woman apart then showing a self-knowledge astonishing in one so impetuous madame de stal added i believe i possess talent and wit esprit but i govern none of my faculties they govern me and i cannot control my use of them this effusion surprised sophie the two women though not unacquainted though about the same age though they commenced salonnieres in the same year seventeen eighty six had never been friends indeed they had very little in common madame de condorcet as we have seen was a freethinker inclining to atheism and a republican madame de stal was a deist with christian sympathies and always at heart a monarchist though she came to support the republic when she found it inevitable moreover madame de stal had never liked condorcet she had found it difficult to forgive turgot's friend for his failure to appreciate turgot's successor necker madame de stal one of the most brilliant talkers that ever lived if i were queen said one who knew her i would command madame de stal to talk to me all day was not an ideal salonniere she was too restless too impulsive too loquacious the business of a salon lady is not so much to talk herself as to make her guests talk to draw them out and set them at their ease this sophie de condorcet achieved to perfection madame de stal never succeeded in mastering her friend madame recamier's art of listening with seduction neither did she possess that other quality so indispensable in every good hostess the quality of tact herein her helvetian ancestry revealed itself her tactlessness was sometimes mistaken for malice as when at a large dinner-party addressing garat who years before had had a scandalous love affair she asked loudly by the way garat did you ever marry that girl nevertheless there is no denying the influence exercised by madame de stal's salon during the early years of the revolution we see her standing in front of the chimney-piece her hands clasped behind her back her large black eyes flashing fire her dark hair falling in massive curls about her neck as her lips pour forth eloquence her social dominance had begun early when she was a little girl at home when seated in her mother's salon on a little wooden stool at madame necker's feet germaine had held entranced by her childish prattle a group of great personalities marmontel gibbon grimm she ought to have been well trained in the salonniere's art for a while indeed after her marriage to the swedish ambassador she imagined herself to be governing france from her salon in the rue de bac for a while she succeeded in that most difficult of social experiments especially in france of making men of opposite political opinions dine together but madame de stal soon found neutrality impossible gradually she became identified with a party that of such constitutional royalists as talleyrand narbonne 
la litolandale and because this party was not in the ascendant her salon ceased to count most of her friends emigrated she herself stayed on until the autumn of seventeen ninety two trying to save the queen succeeding in saving narbonne constantly risking her own life for the sake of her friends until finding she could no longer be of service to them she herself took flight during the september massacres and after narrowly escaping arrest safely crossed the frontier and reached her father's house at coppet End of chapter 2